Hello, and a warm festive welcome to Into the Black Archives' first ever Christmas special. Woohoo! See, there was a ho 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 when we tried to record this before, but presumably Santa has died. Ho ho ho! Thank you, Owen. And, um, and I'm James over here. Um, we hope you're having a lovely festive season, even if you don't uh, celebrate Christmas. But one show that does celebrate Christmas is, well, did, is Doctor Who. So yeah, so Merry Christmas, everyone. And to celebrate the festive season, we are watching the very first Doctor Who Christmas special. Going to correct you there. Was there oh, was a classic Christmas special, isn't there? Yes, uh, it's one which is lost. Right, so we can't watch it anyway. Um, it, the very first one was over the Daleks' master plan. Yeah. Was it Daleks' master plan? It was a Christmas special? Yeah. Really? There, there was one midway through it. Uh, it is quite famous for being quite controversial. In what way? Do you, do you know how? Yes. Would you like to tell us? Yes. Um, because of the year it was made and general sensitivity, generalness at that mm-hmm. age, um, the Doctor who doctor says something which is racist. Nice. It doesn't exist, essentially, because they never sold it to anyone since it was just like a Christmas special. So mm. the entire story made sense without it existing. Yeah. So they just sent it to the overseas territories without that one episode mm. because it was essentially a filler episode. Yeah, because it didn't really access the story. It was just there to be like, oh, yeah. look, it's a Christmas special. Yes, so outside of the mild racism, uh, this was the first Doctor Who Christmas special, at least as we know them today. Um do you know sort of the context of how this came about, Doctor Who doing Christmas specials? No, do you know? Sort of. I mean, I mean, it was kind of seen as... Because what happened was that Who at the time was waiting on the, the success of what the first episode was going to be. This was when, of course, Russell T. Davies yeah. revived the show, Ninth Doctor, Rose, etc. Mm-hmm. And what they did after Rose's viewing figures were so, so high is the BBC was so elated, they went straight to Russell and said we think this is so good can you can you quickly whip up a christmas episode oh. it was like it was like yeah i'll do that yeah if you want as they they basically did it as a very late call it's surprisingly well done considering that as well yeah because it, it was very late because who didn't get its christmas commission until about april of that year yeah so they had eight months to turn around this entire project yeah, and it's quite a busy episode as well because you've got to do quite a lot. That you've got to try to introduce for Doctor a new brand uh, yes, new, a doctor. new Doctor. You've got to introduce the entire concept of a Christmas episode. Yes, and also Earth being invaded by aliens we've never met before. Yeah, and Harriet Jones, former Prime Minister. Well, yes, pri- we know who prim- she is. Prime Minister in this case. Prime Minister in this case. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is how it all began. Uh, and I suppose this is kind of weird because we've done a regeneration episode before for Trouser when we were doing the classics, yeah. but this is we are doing one. It's strange, really, because it's done completely different to how for Power of the Daleks is done with Patrick Troughton, isn't it? Yeah. Because you've got in Power of the Daleks one, you've got essentially is a doctor only story with companions there, but they kind of shoved to one side. But in this one here, you've only really got for companions. David Tennant as the doctor only really, quite literally in some cases, pops out of bed. <laughs> Only once or twice. Well, it's kind of a reverse of what we've usually seen in regeneration episodes, where, like I said, the Doctor just sort of comes out and he's ready to go. In this one, that was very much ill. He's having almost a full process, and he needs to heal essentially from what is a pretty traumatic event to happen to well anybody to becoming a new person. Yeah, 
which I think is somehow more realistic. And it creates almost a... It's almost turned lefty, in a sense, in the first 30, 45 minutes, where there is no doctor to help, and that's how bad it gets. Yeah. Because it's obvious that the humans without the doctor aren't really ready to deal with something like the the Sycorax yet. Well, that, that straight thing was, let's just go blow them up, essentially, wasn't it? That's how it ends. If, effectively, yes. Which is not good. No. But we'll get to that. There's yeah. so much in this episode really worth worth talking about. Uh, the main thing is, how Christmassy is the Christmas invasion? Just about as Christmassy as the Halloween apocalypse was. Did you think, because I think there's a lot of Christmas references in there. You know, they make sure that they've got Santa. But equally, we were saying which Halloween apocalypse wasn't that Halloween-y, but mm. they had t- trick-or-treating. But if you remove that's those two things in there... Yeah. It... it, yeah. it, it it very easily could have been a standalone non-Christmas. Because think about it. You're saying that they made sure they have for Halloween. They make sure they have for Santas there. Yes. There's the shooting Santas with the brass. That's and a, then the Christmas tree as well. Those that, that two about. are essentially the only references to Christmas. And then it's just kind of like, oh, it's Christmas Day, everyone. Oh, there's a reference to the Queen's Beach. Oh, yeah. That, that is that a good re- point. There are a few references to Christmas yeah. things, but they're sort of laced within an episode that isn't very Christmassy, I agree. Yeah. So, on a scale of, I don't know, one tree to five trees. Two? Yeah, two trees. Because, yes, I think one tree would be if they literally just made, like, the Queen's Speak reference and just kept, and conti- it, yeah. continuously randomly referenced it in dialogue, which didn't really need to exist. Mm. But here they've at least got two bad guys. Who are Christmas-themed. Yeah. And we'll go on to those Santas later. We will go on to the Santas later. So how do you, how do you want to do this classic episode style where we start talking about the characters we've got? Yes, but it's going to be a bit of a weird one. Because we... we've never spoken about these characters, yeah. We're kind of just jumping in. Uh, and before we do go in for characters, I just need we just need to address the elephant in the room here. Whenever me and James compliment Mickey Smith, we are not in any way agreeing <laughs> yes. with what Noel Clark did. No, what Noel Clark did was horrible, and he should not have done it. But equally, we this is still a piece of Doctor Who history, and I think it's right which we still criticise it or like a certain elements of it as we do. But equally, James will agree with me here. What Noel Clark did was horrific, and it should not have ever happened. We're not reviewing the people; we're reviewing the episode. Yes, simple way to put it, and. The episode exists as its own thing yeah. in this case. we I don't want us, because we don't want to talk about Noel Clark, also affect all of the other cast and crew which worked on that because those sorts of... Yes, do- not everyone Who, is bad. <laughs> do- Doctor Who requires hundreds of backstage people, let alone on-camera people. So let's not wash them all with the same brush. But yes, yeah. so moving yeah. on from that. Yeah, sorry, uh, that, che- that's that fine. Che- little, cheery Christmas note. A cheery Christmas note. <laughs> um... That's bad. <laughs> Christmas is good. and Is it? Well, are we going to get into sort of the capitalism of Christmas? No, not Here really. Now. No. It's, it's, not, it's not capitalism of Christmas. I'm just not the biggest Christmas person. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the most cheery podcast recordings we've ever done. <laughs> Merry Christmas, one and all. <laughs> Didn't, we couldn't even buy crackers. No. Um, I nearly got us mince pies. Oh, I should have bought my mince pies in the house. I, I nearly did, but then I figured I don't know if you like mince pies. So I, thought I, I really like mince pies, actually. Damn yeah. it. I nearly it's did. fine. There will be time. Yeah. Okay. 
it'll be so. Although I've recently got into the habit of, you know, because obviously all the supermarkets do different mince pies. Yeah. I sometimes like really review the mince pies back and forth to try and work out which ones are the best. Do, do you have a mince pie blog? Not a mince pie blog, but like mentally I'm making notes about oh. well, what mince pies are good. The Tesco ones, quite nice. You should make a mailing list. A mailing list. <laughs> yeah, for, for, for real fans of this show, you can get my food mailing list. For every week leading up to Christmas, you would have gotten, because we're recording this a few weeks in advance, you would have gotten James's mince pie mailing list. <laughs> yes, I hope you've been enjoying it. We're going to be talking about the Sainsbury's ones next. God help them. <laughs> I should say, seeing as we are in November, the co-op one's fine. But the Tesco ones, that's a mince pie. So if what you're saying is if someone sees them in the clearance section now, which Christmas has happened, yes. get the Tesco ones. Yeah, if you see the Tesco ones clearance, they're definitely worth it because they're genuinely good. Yeah. You've got this the really like flaky, buttery texture, which is really nice. And also they pack it full of the mint the mint. Yeah. So more importantly here, which ones are there to avoid? <sighs> I haven't had many I, the court ones aren't great. They're kind of they're a bit too big without having a lot of mincemeat in them. It's like if you're going to have a big mince yeah. pie, you want to have a lot of the filling, right? It's yeah. just kind of empty pastry, a lot of it. Like there's some mince in there, but it's it's not even as good mince as the Tesco ones, which yeah. I'm not saying is a great mince pie. I'm just saying it's a good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I hope um, you're enjoying the mailing list all. I'm loving this amazing sidetrack. <laughs> yeah, it just flown into mince pie chat. <laughs> Right, so let's start off with a bizarre way of looking at characters. Since yes, we do have knowledge about them, but we haven't watched them that all yes. recently. Of course, I have knowledge about them because if you ever listened to our um, RTD emergency podcast, where I essentially screamed that Ross T Davies was coming back, there is a reason because I really do love these episodes. So for me, it was kind of like visiting an old friend, yeah, and getting myself reacquainted. So let's start off with Rose Tyler, because she is essentially yeah. the main character of this. The Doctor is shoved to the side. It's Rose Tyler's show, essentially. Mm. How, what did you think about her? Well, I think we have to take it into context, because we've had a full series of Rose at this point. So Rose has had that whole series with Christopher Eccleston's Doctor. Obviously, Eccleston's Doctor is gone, and so she spends most of the episode thinking, well, can that be the Doctor? Is that the Doctor? Is that the person that I have been traveling with the whole time so she's having this kind of crisis yeah all all the while there's a crisis going on around her with the earth about to basically be invaded do you very tough do you think she handles it as well as companion should have considering she's been traveling with the doctor as, as well as she could have i think yeah because rose tyler is not the doctor that's the point i think this yeah. episode makes rose tyler is brave rose tyler is courageous but rose tyler is not the doctor yeah no one's the doctor that's the doctor which I think was a good way of sort of selling. Oh, look, this is a this is David Tennant as the Doctor. The Doctor is still cool and all. Does it might hurt Rose a little bit because there are times in the episode where she comes across as a little bit nanzily, like with the Christmas tree scene where it's literally like, yeah, we're f- unless um we can wake Tennant up, yeah, which they do sort of in the schmaltzy way, and then it's all done and fine. Yeah, I also think we've got the starts here of. What some say is the downfall of her characterization, which is for purely for Doctor's yeah, love partner. Yeah, romantic interest. Romantic interest, which, if you don't know, becomes a major part of the second season of New Who. Yeah, which, which a gets, lot of people don't like. Which, rightfully so, revisiting those episodes, which I did a few months back, my God, it's a bit tedious. It's, it is a bit schmaltzy. 
But I do think it sort of holds up just because... Just because the characters are strong enough that yeah. I kind of believe it. And so when you get to the end of that season, I know we're jumping way over the odds now. When you get to Doomsday, mm. for example, that works really, really well because you believe those characters and they're written realistically in a Davies way. Not to say they aren't schmaltzy, but at least the payoff works. Yeah. The question isn't whether it works, it's just whether you like that direction. And I get it if you don't. Yeah. Is there anything else to say about Rose in this episode? Um... I, there's the thing Rose and Mickey have I think is worth kind of mentioning because there's always there's this kind of tension this kind of brings us on to Mickey yeah. anyway in a segue I, not the actor um, I just want to quickly say before we segue on to Mickey what did you think about her attempting to essentially BS Sikorax right at the end that's very funny yeah yeah that's funny also I like that it's almost like a callback to all of the things in that first season yeah. it's really cleverly done to like remind you of what's going on. So that's great. I, I'm I'm definitely a fan of that. Yeah. And it also means we can have a bit of levity because there are points, and I do want to mention this when we get into sort of the main plot, where this story's quite dark. Yeah. And the things that it implies for a Christmas episode on yeah. BBC One at 7pm because it was aired at 7pm on Christmas Day in particular. Yeah. It is amazing what people... What they got away it's with. amazing what they got away with. But we'll, we'll go on to that. Yeah. Anyway, on to the Mickey thing. Because the main thing with Mickey in this episode, obviously he's kind of the antithesis to the Doctor in a lot of ways. That's how he's presented in the first series. He's kind of the earthbound, not very exciting. Not all that intelligent. Yeah, he's he is everything the Doctor isn't. Not to say he isn't a good person, it's just that he's everything the he, doctor he, isn't he's essentially third wheel isn't he he's Very constantly so. feeling left out because his whole tension is like well obviously you're not going to stay here are you? you're just going to keep going off yeah because he was obviously if you don't know Rose's partner before she met the doctor who then kind of took her away yes and then and that relationship became strained I think strained is, is, is an understatement there mm. <laughs> strained by time Strained by time and her falling in love with a two-hearted alien. He also turned into a bin at one point. Yes, he did. Lots happened. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's kind of... Because I've always kind of had a soft spot for Mickey as a character. He's a bit dumb and a little bit like... You almost take pity on him a little bit, but... it's it's He's good. I like watching him. And then you also have Jackie, which is worth talking about Jackie, who is still brilliant. Jackie is just for comedic... Character. Exactly. I mean, you have to you have to appreciate something. Like, Kamuka Duri is a really good actor. Yeah. Like the thing, you know, the bit where um, he's like, "I need something for the neural implosion," and then she's like, "Oh, what you need? What you need?" I was, I was just streaming at her. Shut the hell up. Yeah, it's fantastic. It works for what it needs to be. And the fact she has to remember all those lines and then just go, 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 go. That's really impressive. So yeah, and also Jackie. She doesn't do a lot in the episode because she kind of gets taken out she, of the final end, doesn't she? She doesn't get the target. She essentially is the comedic edge to this episode. She yes. doesn't really do anything else other than uh, than give the odd laugh, really, is she? She, yeah, she breaks up what is a quite serious episode with levity. Uh, and I suppose that's kind of been her job in a lot of episodes. Like in, like in Army of Ghost Doomsday mm. again, when she is posed as Rose Tyler. Yeah. However, I do have to say, since we're talking about Jackie, I'm from this point on, 
I'm going to deduct a point from every episode, which finds an excuse to go, Doctor Who? It's it's a bit... I th- ah, do you know what? I'll allow it. Because it's a new Doctor. It's a new Doctor. I, I, I don't care. If, if you, you don't find, care? If you're find, trying to find an excuse to say for, for show's title... That's annoying and horrible. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm deducting a point. So, so when you watch movies, you know, because like a lot of action movies will find a way to sort of shoehorn in their title into dialogue. Do you also dock a point out of those? I don't watch that many films. And I don't review films. Yeah, but would that establish a precedent? When you hear that in a movie, do you go, oh, God? It depends how naturally into the dialogue it is. But well, it really well, I don't does. Think you can make Doctor Who sound I... natural. <laughs> It really was just jarring. She just goes, Doctor Who? No one Doctor would say who? No one would say that. They'd go, Who is he? Mm. This isn't for Doctor. Mm. Who is he? They wouldn't go, Doctor Who? <laughs> it just it takes you completely <laughs> out of It just takes you completely out of the action. It's annoying. <laughs> like Merry like, Christmas, everyone. Like on about like titles being involved in dialogue. So mm. like we went to see Thingy and the Five Rings. Yeah, the Ten Rings. Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. I don't know why I always say Five Rings. There were five rings on each hand. He has two hands. Five times <laughs> two, ten. Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Like I can accept them going, his Ten Rings. Because that's obviously a part of the show. Yeah, these are the Ten Rings. Like, okay, that's cool. That's fine. And his name is Shang-Chi, so he can go Shang-Chi in the Ten Rings because he owns the rings, and at the end he does at least. But there's no reasonable way you can justify going Doctor Who in the TV show without <laughs> trying to without making your dialogue really clunky for the sake of making it really clunky. I think a lot of this episode's sort of clunky because there's a lot of plot that sort of relies on convenience. Yeah, it's... Since it's not sen- Davy's best episode. It's good, but it's not his best. Since we're essentially done for characters Simon for Doctor Who isn't really there, mm. it I think much as this starts the trend of Doctor Who producing Do- Christmas or New Year's episodes, mm. it also starts off a trend of them being a, not the best work of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, they're Who. not the best ones. It does purely feel they were just Well, made. that's why we're sort of doing them separately. They don't really exist inside the series, the, se- the seasons. No. They are kind of their own separate thing. Yeah. They do almost feel like they're from a parallel universe sometimes. Um, there is one more character we should talk about who is fully worth getting talked about as like a full character, by okay. the way, Harry Jones. Prime Minister. Yes, we know who she is. Good, good. Glad we, glad we went through that together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, um, it is always a treat to watch ha- Penelope yeah. Wilson's Harriet Jones, yeah, who is I, one of the best side characters in Who history. I just love the fact which her entire assistant is essentially... Just a joke. Yes. It is essentially just a joke for them to justify going, Harriet Jones, Prime Minister. Harriet Jones, former Prime Minister. <laughs> it's brilliant. It changes every time. And even though, yes, we... Even, even the Daleks. Yeah. In a, in a, in a, yes, we know who you are. Yeah. It, like As for Prime Minister, you like imagine right now, if Boris Johnson went in the room and went, <laughs> hi, I'm Boris Johnson, Prime Minister. Everyone should go there going... Yes. yes sure we we re- we recognize you number one because you're still in front of me and we recognize your name mm. yes <laughs> we know who you are it 
still it, a great joke though yeah it is still my, my favorite joke it's, it, it's fantastic even when even she gets the cigarettes doesn't she because harry joseph Prime Minister. yeah <laughs> do, ra, da, do, do, do. yes we know who you are yeah. <laughs> can i just ask you I'm, I'm going to jump right into the end here all the way yeah all the way to the end and ask you something about harry jokes because it's something which to this day i still don't understand about this episode okay why should what is the doctor referring to and she when he goes She's looking tired, isn't she? What, don't you think she looks tired? Don't you, don't you think she looks tired? I, she, I, I, I definitely no, he's know. not referring to anything. The, the trick of that line is to... It's kind of glossed over, so you can't really read it too much because I don't think it holds up too well when you sort of analyse it deep. Yeah, because I'm always there going, what is it? The whole Did, idea is to make it seem, in the media eyes, that Harriet Jones didn't handle it well. Even if she did. Yeah. As revenge for killing the Sycorax. But he doesn't go to... He goes to supposedly his... Yes, her assistant. Her but assistant. the fact who, is, the assistant doesn't tell Harriet Jones what he said. If he was a really loyal assistant, he'd have told her straight away. The yeah. fact he doesn't say it, it proves that he was never... He was... I think it sort of shows up that guy Alex as a careerist. Yeah. It, who has his own ambitions and... It to me just doesn't... It relies on a lot of imagination it, from you, it, I admit. It just... I feel like it would have been better if there was actually something implied. Mm. Like if we see her nervously taking drugs and he goes, check inside her top drawer or something. Yeah, something yeah. As if, if she had like a proper floor. Because Harriet is presented as, oh, she's great, she's great, she's great, until she goes and kills them, which is the twist. Yeah, she's... She, she is very much a one-dimension character. She's only got this from this prime minister, very authoritative figure, and we just go to, oh, have you noticed there's something wrong with her? Yeah, like, and then that's enough. Like if we've seen there's some flaws, and we go back to that flaw, it's such a small thing, but I feel like it would just make more sense. Hmm. Also, do you know what I actually think is cool about that? It's actually the way Russell wrote around that later on because it was. Russell says straight up now, oh, well, the reason I created that power vacuum to get Harriet out was to create the Harold Saxon plot. Yeah, but... So what we're essentially saying is the Doctor's own decisions actually led to the Master being able to get in, which is just interesting. I like the way that that era's joined up like that. It is interesting, but I feel like it's still just done in a very dodgy way. It's not great. It's like it, it relies more on your own imagination rather than it being proper. So it's not the best writing of Davies ever. No. But it does a job. Especially since it is singled out so much for you to focus in on it. Like if it was if it was done as a throwaway line, that would be one thing. But since it's like the key standout phrase, which is later called back to, you would have yeah. thought which they would have put a bit more development time into making sure it makes complete sense. Yeah, it makes, I think it makes sense, but but only if you create the context you need for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it doesn't work brilliantly. So, enough about characters. Harriet Jones, Prime Minister. Yes, we know who she is. Um, Shall we have a little play with the plot? Play with the plot? Yes. <laughs> Fiddling with the narrative. Yes. Okay, well, the whole thing starts. Um, Doctor has regenerated, and you kind of have to have seen The Parting of the Ways, the last episode of the yeah. first series, to know where it starts, because it leads directly out from that. The Doctor... Rose arrive in the Powell estate again, and the Doctor throws out, sort of says hi for a second, passes out. 
So they take him into Jackie's house and put him in bed. And everything seems just like, oh, we'll see if he's the Doctor or not. But in the meantime, there's nothing we can do. So we might as well try and have a normal Christmas. Yeah. So Rose and Mickey go out to sort of an open air market in the middle of London. Yeah. Where the first problems, <laughs> the first problem starts. Santa, Santa weapon assassins. Can I just say at the very start here, just to all of the other showrunners, this is demonstration here. A regeneration doesn't mean the TARDIS needs to blow up. Yes, because the TARDIS was fine. It crashed down because someone was fainting and couldn't drive it. Yes, it was driven badly, but that was it. But it didn't explode. It didn't crash. Well, it did crash, but not properly. So, mm. yeah, just a reminder here to all the other showrunners. Yeah, because that's got ridiculous since um, Tenant's Regeneration onward as to how ludicrous the regenerations have gone. It's as if, like, the whole world needs to die. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, not only has the Doctor regenerated, the entire of time has regenerated. Nothing yeah. happened. I do hate how we've gone from, in classic who, yes, I'm aware it changes a little bit here and there, but we've gone from having a TARDIS which is consistent across all all Doctors, mm. always the same, to every Doctor having their own TARDIS. Yeah, as if it's some kind of the TARDIS has to change to reflect personality. It just feels like an excuse to sort of distinguish or differentiate an error. It's like, well, actually, if you wanted a consistent show, just make it consistent. You don't need to make all of these alterations. I understand slowly altering the appearance of it, but don't just go from the, oh, look, this is the TARDIS. <laughs> oh, look, the TARDIS has now completely changed. <laughs> yeah, now the TARDIS is now blue. Yeah. It, Inside. Like, you remember when they did the Tenant to Smith transition in the TARDIS? And it was just, like, completely different. Yeah. Yeah, that always messed me up. It just looked a bit dumb. Yeah. And also, I, I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or not, because I keep seeing people who criticise it, but I know we are both on the same page about this. Mm. This is my favourite TARDIS. Yes, my favourite TARDIS. It is my favourite TARDIS. It's perfect. I love the Davis era TARDIS. Yes, so that's the best TARDIS for me. It's got this like... Because it's not very complicated. I think the issue with the modern TARDIS is is they're very sort of over-explained and over-big and there's a lot going on. Actually, no. I'm going to correct myself here. My favourite TARDIS is not this Tenant's TARDIS. Is it not? No, it's the Eighth Doctor's TARDIS. Oh, the one that we only see ridiculously briefly. In the um, film. Yeah. In the film one, yeah. It's a good TARDIS. I'm still still sticking with 9 and 10. Yeah. 9 and 10 does have a special place in my heart. It is the best of the new Who. Exactly. It's just because it's fairly simple. It's an easy-to-look-at design. It looks nice. It's practical enough because you've got the seated area. Mm. You've got the console, which whenever I think of the console, I still think of that green console. Yeah, that's the console. Yeah. Just round, small, compact. You've got that lovely, that lovely tube going up in the center. It's just like this really like joined up design. Yeah. It's as if someone had thought about it actually flying somewhere. Yeah. It is my favorite TARDIS design. Mm-hmm. Thank God they didn't destroy it as well. So, so then, the, yeah, then the Santa assassins turn up in the open air market. It annoys me this bit. Does it annoy you? Yeah, I think it's quite fun. It, it, don't get me wrong, it is fun, but they're never referred to again. Like, we we set out to believe, which these are the pilot fish, pilot fish to lead the 
the main enemies here for Sycorax to Earth. Yeah. But we're led to the belief which the pilot fish are coming out to get the Doctor. Mm. But then the Sycorax are not aware the Doctor is there. Right. Have I just identified a plot hole? That could be an issue. But let me let me try and figure out a way out of that hole and devil's advocate you just for fun. Okay. So the pilot fish might be after just that energy. Yeah. But the the pilot fish don't necessarily have to have the same ambition as the Sycorax, right? Because the pilot fish is sort of feeding off scraps, whereas the Sycorax feed off big stuff. No, but then then the question has to be Aside from making it Christmassy, what is the point of them being there? You know, warn them. It doesn't develop, it doesn't develop the plot too much. They literally could have started with um, they could have had the Guinevere one stuff, and it would have been the same episode really. And expanded it out and healed up some of the other plot holes, adding for yeah. stuff about. It Harry seemed what Jones. they wanted to do. I think Davies under pressure. Can you make it really Christmassy? Maybe yeah. the BBC were like, can you just add some Santas or like a Christmas tree that ro- rotates and kills you? G- going back on to whether it's Christmassy or not, it's only Christmassy for that first half. Yes, it's sort of like they do the Christmassy thing to appease the BBC. They're like, right, now we're doing our own stuff, lads. Yeah. Um, it does very much feel like a box ticking exercise. of the outside of the box ticking, I do think the idea of Santas having flamethrower horns is very fun. Yeah, it's a very iconic thing to do. It's great. And obviously they bring them back. Yes, they do, don't they? Then the, the next Christmas special, they come back. Yeah. In a slightly different way. Um, when Donna's around. And then they also have the rotating Christmas tree. Oh, my. Which they get back to, which is... Pff, I forgot about the CGI on this. Oh, my God. This episode CGI it has aged. It's aged. So badly. Yeah, it's not, it's not the worst thing I've seen, but it is aged now. Also, I have to ask you this here. Hmm. How difficult would it have been for them to just get a motor, put a, a a Christmas tree on top of a motor, and then just spin it in front of like a blue screen, and then just superimpose that spinning Christmassy on there? It would just look ten <sighs> times better. <laughs> I think I think there's a couple of reasons I can think of. One, it might not look regular in the spinning. Two, the weight of the tree might have an issue for the motor. You'd almost have to have like a centrifuge motor that would go all the way up the tree. So it might just swing about and flop I think off it, the motor. You and need to remember, in that footage, what they could do is just record it spinning slowly and then just speed it up. They absolutely could have. And, and I just think that would have looked but so what, much better. But, but, it's, but it was modern, you know? That was modern then. You could have computer-generated Christmas tree. The issue with cutting edge is that in a few years' time, your cutting edge looks terrible. Your cutting just, edge is a circle. Just think of the original iPhone. Yeah, it's not, well, that, nowadays. That, that was cutting edge. Yeah, at the time, but, that was incredibly but, cutting edge. But then come along to the iPhone... Whatever we're on now. Four, four and you're looking back at, at that. Yeah, it's Even a then, world. that was so far behind. But now, let's not look at the cutting edge and look at once everything has caught up a little bit. You have got a 6S or a 6. Mm. That, relatively speaking, give that to someone, they still think, oh, look, that's still fully operational. You can still use it. Exactly, yeah, it's usable. Because it wasn't cutting edge. Mm. But yeah, no. Yeah, you're looking for sort of timelessness. The Christmas tree is one of the the many things that hasn't aged particularly well. There is the exploding ship, which looks astonishingly bad. (laughs) Um, there are a few things. I mean, we knew that Dottie was running on a limited budget at that time. That was almost kind of like a badge of honour they had, which was we're trying to do very, very big, ambitious things. 
on a budget that really isn't cut out for what we're trying to do. Yeah. So so they just try to cut corners wherever they can. Yeah, it really does just... Yeah, CGI is not for best. Mm. But for Spinning Tree, though, it is iconic. I still think of that Spinning Tree. Yeah, it's still really cool. There's also that that shot, which does look a bit funny now, where uh, Mickey's holding a chair up. Yes. At it. That's that's like, a shot like, I always think about. Like that's going to do anything to stop it or so. It yeah, does. well done, Mickey. Yeah, the chair will do it. It'll it'll be like a termite. Yeah. The way that's going to take the word out. Yeah. And then they go back in. They retreat in for Doctor's room because Rose refuses to leave without the Doctor. Mm. And then... Oh, look, suddenly the doctor wakes up. Yes, well, it's because Rose asks him very nicely to help her. Which is proof that in his heart there is love. We have to call it out here. We call out Chipnor enough for his plot conveniences. Yeah, yeah no, that's but a plot convenience. God, there are this, a lot of plot conveniences this in this thing. a massive plot coincidence. It's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll explain it away. It's love. It's worse than a cliffhanger because it happens in the story. <laughs> isn't it like, it would have been a good cliffhanger if it, they divided the um the episode up classic yeah, series wise but they've written themselves into a corner mid-episode yes and then they've had to like, do it it's like at least if it's a cliffhanger you've kind of forgotten they the fact they of, did it's sort of just fine like later because the doctor goes to rose like you've woken me up but you've done it too early yeah you sh- I've, i i woke up but you, i shouldn't have yeah, like there is an impact on here on like the story. Like it does impact the story, but, and so it's kind of explained later. But it still does just feel very much. I mean, like there's a, an even worse plot convenience later on. Okay, involving we, a certain beverage, but we'll get into that. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, so once that's done, the Doctor has this scene on the balcony where he's he's going, "Oh, these are pilot fish. It's obviously something bigger is maybe coming. They've detected my energy," and then he falls over again. And gets has to be put into bed with two more blankets. Ooh, extra toasty. Obviously, the big thing is related to what's going on with a space probe called Guinevere One. Yes. Now, Guinevere One is a project that is launched by a side character I'd like to talk about very, very briefly called Donald Hechwellen. Yes. Uh, who is a lovely addition and is proof that um, they were like, well, we need to cast more Welsh actors because we're in Wales now. <laughs> For someone who is the leader of a space exposition... He's very nervy. My God, is he a bit thick sometimes. Yes. He may have single-handedly nearly caused the deaths of two billion people. To be fair, that is standard protocol. That is what they do. No, it is standard protocol. I I don't think he caused the death of it. It's just his... Indirectly. Indirectly, yeah. He just... I just find it hard to believe which the UK government would put so much pressure on this guy but to do space exploration, but also not tell them which they, tell him which they know which aliens exist. Yeah, that is interesting. That, that is just a bit it's basically of a, odd, a bit of a lie, isn't it? Like, this, it's like going, to, oh yeah, no, we trust you to do run our space expedition. It's yeah. just the other people that are actually running our space expedition don't. Yeah, and wait, you think aliens exist? No. No, we know, we know nothing about aliens. No, we could never possibly Wink. know an aliens. I mean, you have to really put into context. Donald's twenty four hours is is quite a day. Yeah, he his his probe's about to land on Mars. A big day for him already. Goes off the grid for a second. Terrifying. Then the probe is picked up by actual aliens. Yeah. Then he learns not only are aliens real, but everyone knows that they're real. He's taken to unit. For goodness sake. For no reason at all. Like, he isn't needed there at all. He isn't all. needed, he, he but, you know, nothing. he's sort of in charge. He goes there. Next thing you know, he's beamed up in a tunnel to a Tikarak ship, 
And then when he decides to speak about it, he gets killed. Yes. What a day. Oh, it sounds like a fun... But, but the best part is... Action pack. <laughs> best part is... <coughs> none of it makes any sense in being there. But he's a fun, nervous character. Yeah, he is, he, he is a fun character. I love being with him. Mm. But, like, why would units have the guy who launched a space probe, which everyone knows loads more than they already let on about what's going on in space, let him in and just let him just sort of float around but then still actively do things one reason i can work out for why he's there it's not so much a plot reason as more of like oh this is a cool writing mechanic is that a lot of what russell did in early who was to introduce you to the concepts from the classic show yeah that people wouldn't have known because the show is quite old at that point would use audience surrogate characters yeah, really he, well. He is, so Rose is the perfect example yeah. of how that works. Donald is the audience surrogate character for Unit. Yeah. Because he doesn't know what's going on, so he can ask the questions that we want answered, yeah. and then we get the but answers naturally. His, his his purpose in that sense makes complete sense. Yeah, it's entirely mechanical, but, but they don't make it plot relevant. But plot-wise, uh, he's just there. Yeah, he's just kind of there, and then he gets killed by essentially a space whip. Yes, but we'll get on to that later. <laughs> I'm seeing in my head the moment he gets killed by space. I want that edited with the um, traditional Robert Grove end card. Um, we're running out of time before Flux. <laughs> yes, we are. So okay. let's move on. Um, so, yeah, so he goes into unit. Not much really happens in this gap, does it really? Not majorly. It's kind of just we're building up. We know that the, the Sycorax find the, um, the probe... They yeah. send a message through it to say we're here over the airwaves and they hack in. It's all really cool. Um, they all go to UNIT, which is, for various reasons, in the Tower of London, just because it's cool. I mean, it still is. That's where we're located for Black Archive. It is. It's right in the Tower of London. We'll see yeah. you there. Um, obviously, you don't know that. No. So don't go. <laughs> it's like the macro. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, so... There's this whole delay where the ship isn't arriving for five, six hours. We go through the night and everyone's kind of anxious. We wait for the doctor to wake up on the other side. And then the Sycorax send another message where instead of saying words, the Sycorax leader does a wave of his hand and there's a blue light. And then all of a sudden, a lot of people have that same blue light going around their heads. Yes, because everyone who is A-positive... It's A-positive blood, yeah. I really like this as a concept... Yeah, so everyone goes up to the edge, and it's later hinted at for Queenies as well. Yeah, that is dark as hell. But I... there's a problem. Hmm. Do you know what blood type for Queen is? Is that B negative? What blood type's the Queen? Have you really just researched what blood type the Queen is? Yeah, just while you were talking. Uh, what blood type is the Queen? O negative. Oh, I'm O negative. So, so she's got no reason to be up on that. Yeah, range. she's absolutely fine. No, they could have at least made it so that for that, she's a, you know that, she's a universal donor. Yeah, so they could have at least done it so that all, all the O negative people up there. So that, that oh, there's less O negative people. That's the problem. Oh. There's less O negative people because A positive is was was basically picked by Russell because it is the most common yeah. blood type, and that also makes sense as to why it was put on the probe because it's the most common yeah. type. So you might as well put the most common one on. So yeah, I you know interesting concept 
it's also very dark for yeah. Christmas night at BBC One because yeah. basically two billion people, including children, and it is explicitly referenced that children are involved yes. in this, are just standing on the roof. Like it's basically we're threatened with child suicide. Twenty minutes into Christmas night, yeah, it, <laughs> families gathered but, round with them. It's by oh, well, those children kill themselves. One weird thing which happens though in this here, which just baffles me, no one tries to stop them. No, everyone just sort of watches them go by, don't they? It's like, oh god, like, there's one reference. We can't do anything. There's one reference. What's her name for blonde? Sally. Sally. There's, yeah. there's Sally who starts going up. They they sort of like try to hold her back, but then just they go, oh no, I don't want to hurt her. And they go, how is that going to hurt her? How do you know that is going to hurt her? Well, well I suppose how- when you immediately see aliens mind control, blood control, in yeah. this case a person, you don't quite know if the spell will break in a bad way. Yeah, but... Like, they drop or something, but I don't know. They could have shown someone at least trying. Either way, I'm going to say it's good because the visual is cool. Yes, it is cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, to have them all on the edge of that. And then obviously the ship arrives, and that's even cooler. Can I just say something here as well? Something which Russell T. Davis does perfectly, but I don't think any other showrunner has done. Go on. It, he shows everything in a global perspective by yes. the use of newscasts. Yes, no one else. Well, has no one else done that? I can't think of a the time. The Power Moffat. of Three is an example of an episode which used newscasts. But did he do that it? Was Moffat. Did he do it all over the world? Because we're in Russell T Davis. We get. We yeah, get it's BBC. always kind of like a global scale. We get BBC. We get a fake American newscaster. Yeah, Trinity Wells, the legend. Yeah, uh, fake Indian newscaster. Is this the first episode we meet Trinity Wells, or is that the Slovene one? I honestly can't... Might be the Slovene one. I, I don't know my Doctor Who newscast trivia that I'm well. I'm pretty sure she's in the Slovene one. Also, another Easter egg on Doctor Who newscast trivia is that uh, the BBC newsreader is actually Jason Mohammed, oh. who is now the presenter of Final Score, oh. funnily enough, and he is the BBC newsreader. Even more funny and niche stuff here. We really need to move on, but I'm going to quickly... Yes, give yes, this, we do. <laughs> give, give this quick piece of niche knowledge. Um, according to Ofcom rules... There's a specific reason why they never show for BBC News thing in full window. They only ever show it zoomed in with TV effects it's on it. It's to stop people getting confused, yeah, isn't it? it's to stop people getting confused. So they always have to show in context. So yeah. people don't... So it has to be shown on a television screen. On a television screen or sort of like... Or in reading. the surrounding of a scene. Yeah. To, otherwise, essentially, for fear is, is that... like It's like a War of the Worlds situation, isn't it? People might think it's real. It didn't actually happen, that... Fun fact: It's yeah, all, it's, no, all well, it's all urban legends. It's, it's the myth, yeah. It's the urban legend of War of the World. How everyone will believe it's real, and then they all go into chaos. So, according to UK rules, we're not allowed. They're not allowed to do that. Anyway, that's really off offshoot. Yeah, we're way off, uh, but it's fine. But I think that's something which Rusty Davis does really well to give you global. It's a really quick and easy way to give you a clo- global prospect of how the infect is having yeah. on everyone. I mean, have you seen? Uh, and then we will get off this. Have you seen years and years? You, I think I saw part of it. Yeah, because he uses that yeah. extensively in years and years. It's just, That's pretty much the drive. It's a really quick and easy way to spread everything out, mm. which isn't done by any other showrunner yes. from what I know of. And then the ship arrives over London, because why not? Yeah, why not? Can yeah. I just say, when the ship arrives, one small thing which I really liked, the fact which they show Big Ben surrounded by scaffolding where they're rebuilding from the... Yeah, the, the continuity in the Davies era is great, isn't it? Yeah, Big Ben and Scout. There are some great shots. Uh, there are some quite loaded shots as well because I never noticed this on the first times I've watched it. But there's an insert of um, Churchill, the Churchill statue, looking up at it, 
which is I think is a really loaded shot. I did not notice that. Yeah, there's the the Churchill statue in um, Whitehall. If you've ever been to it, it is mm. it is in there looking up at the ship. It is. It almost personifies him. It's a really interesting shot choice. Yeah, and not it, saying anything. It just seems loaded. And then, and then when they turn up, all the people in units for general, your side character guy whose name I've already forgotten. Alex, the assistant. Yeah, Alex or Donald. Both of them. They both. Both get, of them do go. They yeah. both, both go up alongside Harriet Jones, Prime Minister, and the unit guy as yeah. well, who is cool for general. Yeah, the general who says cool stuff like Martians look completely different. Yes, um, they all go up. All of them, aside from P.A. Alex and Harriet Jones, former Prime Minister, uh, die. Die. Tardis brought up because they act, because. Yeah, because the secrets suddenly notice that it's there. Yeah, they. It's kind of vague how that happens. They, I think essentially what ends up happening is Rose and Mickey accidentally set off like a, a emergency alarm. Oh, that is it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. they say they say should we put out a distress call? Yeah. Uh, uh, so they essentially accidentally set up a distress call, which then alerts which the cigarettes cigarettes notice. and then teleports them up from the ship. And then we have our big showdown where Rose speaks like Gobbly Goop, as we were talking earlier. And then, but then the cigarette actually previously weren't speaking in English, suddenly start speaking English. And this is because of the biggest plot convenience in this entire episode the tea. I like the tea. But it's like the only reason it works is because Mickey spills the tea. Yeah. Completely by accident. Yeah. The entire the entirety of the earth is I, predicated on Mickey spilling some tea. I just like it because it's a joke about how British it is and it's a it's British very funny, show. I, it's, but it's a huge bar of convenience. Yes, but I don't think it's the biggest one. I I think it's it's one which works. It's com- funny, yeah. Compared to the doctor just suddenly getting up because someone says I help like At least it's like a reason. At least we get given a reason about why it happens. So rather, lucky. Rather than him just getting up because Rose says, I need help. Yeah. Oh, well, it happens. And then we meet. Well, this is really the point. We properly meet David Tennant. Yeah. Which is, which, who, and I should say for full disclosure, David Tennant is my favourite doctor. Yeah. So I will be biased. Um, the introduction is brilliant. And rightfully so, because it sets up a doctor that, it, it, well, it becomes the Doctor Tennant becomes. The sort of zany, bipolar darkness hidden just below the surface doctor although i do wonder i think a lot of the way tenants portrayed in the christmas invasion i do wonder whether they softened him a bit because i think the tenant we got is softer than the tenant in that episode i reckon that episode is them not really knowing what they want their doctor to be yet so they just kind of wrote him the most open way possible he could be both yeah that's what if it was like if you think about what he actually says and what he actually does, a lot of it is just him going, oh, am I this? Am I that? Am I this? Am I that? Oh, I'm this person. No, I'm not this person. I'm that person. No, I'm not. Am I ginger? No, I'm not ginger. <laughs> and the ginger it, bit's funny. It feels like they were just, they hadn't quite nailed down what they wanted for 10th Doctor to be yet. Mm. So they kind of just made him open as possible. Yeah, it's very, it's very open in the way that they've sort of left it. But I think... The, the moments that are harsh are much harsher than... I mean, aside from maybe like The Waters of Mars, maybe, yeah. where you have that whole Doctor Goes Dark arc. It never quite gets to that level again because he is very like, yeah, I'll give you a second chance, but, you know, he literally throws him off a cliff and it's like, well, mm. okay. And it's not a problem for him. 
Which, I, yeah, I don't think it ever quite went that way. There were always no. hints that he could be that, and yeah. they kind of went there once, but I've always wondered what that Dark Doctor have been like on screen. Yeah. I know that there's the Time Lord Victoria's Big Finish stuff. I it To me, it feels like they didn't know what which way they wanted to. Mm. So they sort of put all ways. Yeah. They, they kind of made all way make sense, mm. which does bring me on to, because we didn't talk about how the Doctor was characterised. I don't think this is the best characterization of a Doctor, purely because they don't seem to know which way they're going. Yeah, it's not the best. I fully agree with you. It's still kind of in the nascent stages. Mm. But I do think that there is the introduction of a lot of the things that make that Doctor good still. Mm. The kind of the zaniness of the dialogue, the cultural references. It is a very good introduction to a Doctor, don't get me wrong. Mm. It still starts up David Tennant, which is one of the best Doctors for screen for shows ever had mm. but it does to me feel very much like he's a second thought in his own introductory story yeah it's like but, oh we're doing this story and by the way we're building it up and now we're going to do the doctor stuff and then that's done like i even understand him not being there for the entire episode because they want to show rose trying to get on his mm. level i i like that element i think that makes sense but when he is on stream screen as you say, it doesn't make much sense with what comes next. Yeah. It's a very open reading of the Doctor. He doesn't really say anything which makes sense. Yeah, it's just kind of statements. It's that, statements. That contradict each other. Which bounce back and But they forwards. end up in that sort of, the opening season two, they drill down mm. on that and who that does become. And those elements get introduced. Yeah. So it's good, but it's not brilliant. Yeah, just... Just looking at this episode by itself, which is kind of what we're doing here, mm. is not the best. Yeah. So after that, he fights the um, Secrets leader by the ancient rites of combat, of course, because yep. that's how Christmas is. We, we all know those ancient rules of combat. I should also say up. that there is a moment when Harriet Jones gets asked, would you like to sell half of the human race to slavery or have a third of them kill themselves? And Christmas night. <laughs> Actually, you've just reminded me because I wanted to talk about those whips, but I forgot. Oh, yeah, the space whips. I like how they just couldn't be bothered to buy new effects. They just used the same ones they used for the Daleks. Yes. <laughs> They're just like, yep, all right, we've already got those. Yeah, we've already got those effects in our bu- in our down our back pocket. Let's use those. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, so he have, fights the Sigurax leader, basically. They have a big basically. fight, and then the hand gets cut off. And, Which obviously oh, becomes really important later for oh, those look. really weird reasons. Oh, look. Plot convenience. His hand grows back. Woohoo! Yes, the first 15 hours of regeneration, obviously. We knew that. But but it does lead to all the really cool stuff with Jack getting the hand, and yeah. then the hand ends up having regenerative energy from the stolen Earth, so the Doctor can regenerate twice. And love the plot convenience, yay! All those stuff, lots of, but they're at least like they're well laced plot conveniences. So plot conveniences though, they're very carefully laced in. I do like them in the sense that they you kind of there's How- a history behind why they're there, and they're not just there for no reason. How much of that history is planned in the past, and how much of it is, oh. is just them get, get get themselves tied in the corner? And when a lot of it oh, is yeah, Russell, got- a lot of it is Russell just looking back through his own script and being like, "Oh yes, that'll do." <laughs> it, it feels like there's a lot of get, writing himself into the corner and going, "Oh yeah, he's got the hand." It's better planning than chipping the Moffat. So, <laughs> and then pretty much that is the end of it. Yeah. Really, the Sycorax are defeated by the new Doctor who now has a even more regenerated hand than the rest of him. Mm-hmm. And then they 
enjoy a lovely Christmas snowfall, which is ash. And and Harriet Jones blows it up. Yes, Harriet Jones blows up a ship, murders several aliens, and then their ashes fall as snow, which is seen as cute. Merry Christmas. Yes. How did they get away with this? I don't know. I still don't know. But yeah, so that concludes this episode. What did you think about it? I, I mean, it's maybe biased because of much I like the Russell Who and it's nostalgic and part of your childhood and everything. I think it's parts of it have not aged as well as others. Yeah. I think there are there are some plot conveniences that have issues. Um, there is definitely a few things like the pilot fish stuff doesn't really need to be there and, and a bunch of stuff. But I think it's all in all good. Yep. You get to see a lot of the companions on their own, which I think is nice. Yeah. When the Doctor is introduced, you feel like it's worth the wait. Yes. As well. Yeah. So it's it's satisfying, and also you can make the yes, we know who you are joke multiple times. So that's got to give it bonus points. So I'm going to give it seven. You're going to give it seven? Yeah, seven. Seven. I. It's a difficult one for me, because I do like it. But also, watching it again has just shown up all of the issues it's got with it. Mm. Like, there's no reason for the Doctor to just suddenly wake up when Rose goes, I, I need your help. Mm. So, honestly, I'm probably going to give it a seven. But, need to take into account the minus point because they went about Doctor Who. So, I'm going to give it a six. <laughs> The minus point goes in big. Yeah. So it's. I'm going to give this one a six. Just because we criticise Chipnall enough for plot conveniences. Yeah. This, this is just plot convenience after plot convenience. Some of which just don't even make any sense. It feels like they're just riding themselves into corners for a cliffhanger which doesn't even exist. <laughs> so what have we learned from this Christmas, Owen? <laughs> Russell T. Davies is no better than Chris Chipnall. And therefore we are consigned to decades of who? Wilderness? Yes. Ho, ho, ho. Merry ho, ho, ho. Wasn't it beautiful? Yes. Um, yes, we hope you're enjoying the festive season full of the wonderful things we love about the festive season. Russell T. Davies speaking about the suicide of children, ash, slavery, alien invade, other things. Oh, and the Queen being on the roof. That's funny. Yes. So I hope you enjoyed this Christmas special of Into the Black Archive, the annual tradition which doesn't exist yet, but, but we're could. going anyway. It's, it's going to be the end of year what happened. So yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Tell us whether you agree how many holes this episode has. It's got more holes than a load of Swiss cheese. Let us know by tweeting us at blackarchivepod at gmail.com or you can. You can email us at blackarchivepod at gmail.com. Did I say at gmail.com? Yeah, you put the email address on the tweet. The, the Twitter handle you want to get at us at is uh, at blackarchivepod on Twitter. Uh, that's where we are. And as we said, email blackarchivepod at gmail.com. And of course, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So yeah, so remember to as James says, remember to subscribe to get all of your podcast for our next week's special where we'll be looking at for New Year's Eve, for New Year's Day, Doctor Who special, which Chip Chitnall has definitely said he's, he's going to do. Because at this point in time, we don't know. I'm having to record two outros in case he doesn't. But there should be. Next week, we should be here looking at for New Year's Day special where we will be look, coming back to the 13th Doctor for like one of her final three stories. Yeah, it's almost at the end. It feels weird. But yeah, Pain so, is nearly over. So hopefully you'll be able to join us for that next week. <laughs> <laughs>